I think rather than talking about what you do within intensive care itself, how do you think the rest of the hospital views what an intensivist does? I think there can be a perception that you can just take over and do everything. I think there can also be a perception that we will take a patient and then it's no longer their responsibility and make difficult decisions. There may be a perception that we're too good for our boots, but when you do look around many, many trusts nationally, there is a higher proportion of intensivists who are in senior roles within the trusts as well. So perhaps we've justified it being a bit too good for our boots. I guess sometimes people perceive as a thing cavalry going into a ward and retrieving a patient. And I think sometimes we find ourselves being put upon more to make decisions about appropriateness. We've all heard it said, oh, we wanted to ask you if it's worth carrying on. And I think we find ourselves in that because actually we have traditionally been quite good at it, I think. But I don't think we should promote that role at all. We should support other areas of the hospital. I mean, I think when it comes to that decision-making thing or, you know, when people think we've come down and we just go, oh, I know what's going on and we scoop them up. The thing that people forget is that we most of the time have hindsight. You know, we can come in, we can see what's happened over the last, even the last few hours or days or a couple of weeks, and which means that we present an, a more unbiased opinion than the people who've been already looking after them. So it might look easy from the outside, but actually we're building on the work that our colleagues have done before us, really. And we do hang our hats on facts and figures, don't we? And you know, we'll, the first thing we'll do when the referral comes through is potentially look at you know, the last two weeks of good results. I do worry against us being critical of other specialties. And I think sometimes we need to remind our teams that people asking for help because they need some support. Other specialty trainees should feel empowered and confident enough to be able to ask for support and help when it's needed. And especially when it comes to decision making about whether somebody should be for intensive care, that is somebody who's asking for help in making the decision or asking for a confirmation of a of a decision because actually it's a pretty big decision for somebody who doesn't work within intensive care who may have no experience with intensive care. It's far better for us to support them and you know use it as an opportunity to talk to the team that that's around the patient so that we can understand their point of view and they can and they can understand ours as well. I think it's too easy just to document and, and leave. Absolutely. And again, it goes back to this building bridges. Um, you know, the ACCS trainees coming through who've been on intensive care and then you know, the specialties. Um, the IMT trainees now they you know have to come to critical care for three months. It's, it's actually been a really interesting observation to see these trainees coming in very, very quickly. They feel part of the team. Um, and then as they leave, and it's really rewarding seeing them on the wards later on, and they are able to recognise the patient that needs support, the patient who you know, should, should be made comfortable. Um, and I think this, this building, on, building on constantly um, you know, there's, uh, personally, I'd say everybody should do a, a stint in intensive care. Um, and certainly I know that you know, there's a project we've been involved with with the faculty for 
helping um, medical students um, intensive care and um, integrated into their curriculum. Um, foundation doctors, you know, there's a big big push currently to get all, all foundation doctors having some exposure to intensive care. Um, because again, it's, it's the patient that's at the end of it. It's isn't about, oh, we have to have all of them. Yeah, everybody has to come to intensive care just because you know, feel rotors, blah, blah. It's not, it's about the patient, what's right for the patient. Mm. And actually people have seen you know, not only the good things we can do in intensive care, but sometimes the horrific things that we can do in intensive care. Is it right for the patient? Personally, I think they're not getting a done deal if, if it's this whole sort of adage, just because we can, we should mm. take a patient to intensive care. It's the balance that, that is so hard to, to strike as well, where the desire to, to, to do something, you sometimes just got to, you've got to hold it hold it back knowing that you could embark on a path that actually is is really quite harmful to not just to a person but potentially to the to the to the people close to them and i think especially especially these days where visiting is so restricted as well and communication is is so much harder you know getting getting to grips with with what you know in in inverted commas the right thing to to do is 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 just an even bigger challenge Absolutely, we've lost a huge evidence inputter by not being able to have relatives in and finding out. Mm-hmm. It's just made it far more difficult, hasn't it? Not being able to have relatives in to speak to them. What would, what would your husband, wife, mm-hmm. father, son want in this? That I think that balancing act through communication is probably an aspect of 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 our work within intensive care that. That you know nobody on the outside actually actually sees at all because it's you know most of the time it's behind a closed door in an interview room or or even if it's at the bed the bedside you know so I think it, it is really difficult for someone who's not been there to 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 appreciate. Absolutely, you know, we've got we've got relatives who haven't seen loved ones for thirty, forty, fifty plus years. To have conversations after all that time, and, and again, you know, this, it goes back to you know the patient we admit, the patients we think we can make a difference to. So that, that initial assessment is so important mm-hmm. um, to, to glean as much as much information at that point is vital. Mm. Yeah, and we get it. We get it right sometimes, and we get it wrong sometimes. Um, I think that for, for those patients, but we always, you know, it's, it's, it's always err on the side of caution and so should it be, so mm. should it be. Um, yeah. I think hard and fast rules are, are in any way way that we should be thinking, you know, yeah. we shouldn't be moving the argument forward for stuff. One thought that, that occurred to me whilst you, were, whilst you were speaking there is that you can't define what, what an intensivist is so much, but it sort of strikes me that we're we're perhaps the the outwardly human face of intensive care, but also the translator of intensive care as well. You know, we have a hugely complex system and machine and machines for that matter behind us, and somehow we have to simplify that and distill it down and communicate what that is to 
other members of staff to the patient to their to their relatives and mm-hmm. you know which is a, an incredibly difficult thing to do I, yeah absolutely and i think i think that's why it's very difficult to actually define you know in a nutshell what business just does because we have the potential to be able to do to to, to do many many and almost everything but a we don't want to and b um we can't because actually there's, there's too much um, but yes we are the communicators we are the negotiators we are the managers we are the we do, you know we do lead we are uh highly skilled and highly trained with highly specific machinery complex machinery um so it, it's so many things all all rolled into one um and, and we're embracing more and more uh, technologies as we, you know, as we move forward. You know, as the, the, the uh, echo and ultrasound has just, you know, just it's just exploded in in, in its usage on intensive care. Um, and it's a skill set that you know, 20 years ago, you know, never dreamt of it. How mm-hmm. many things we do do. Um, and at the same time, we've got to, I guess, because we're a, a small, too small specialty, um, you know, 10, 10 years old as a faculty, we have to sell ourselves and we have to think carefully how we're going to sell ourselves, uh, sell ourselves on, the, on the public stage and the media. Um, because we do need investment in critical care across the police or intensivists, mm-hmm. um, nursing staff. ACCPs, um, or you know, dietitians, physios. We only have to look at um, GPICs and you know to know that this is a huge machine and it has been chronically under-resourced for so many years. And mm. um, again, this is probably another benefit of COVID. This is our opportunity, and we really must drive it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's our opportunity to take our what is our very strong inward narrative about intensive care as a specialty and really advertise it outwardly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, there are some fantastic spokespeople, I think, for intensive care. I don't know how they have the time to do it all because, you know, actually, <laughs> my day job's pretty busy. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think, we, you know, and we, we probably have undersold ourselves you know through 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 time and now is our opportunity to we but we need you know it's going to need a lot of um mm-hmm. a lot of forethought and investment in how we how we go out and promote ourselves.